0: Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, Part 2, Salvation, Judgment, Hell. Turn to Luke, Chapter 12, Verses 4 and 5. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. So we're still in this series called One Love, and we're talking about this battle, the battle between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Satan. The battle is purposeful. Satan is purposefully left alive by God. We've been kind of discovering what that is. And then we're trapped in the middle of this battle, not trapped so much, we are intentionally put by God, in the middle of this battle, with a purpose, for a reason, and so, um, as we've been making our way through this battle um, and studying it, this war that's going on for one love between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God, um, we've been learning all kinds of things in particular, last week, we started talking about hell a little bit more, and so today, this is the second part of this uh, message um, regarding salvation, judgment, and hell. So you can take out your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 12, and then you can also put your finger in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, I've been trying to do this here a little bit lately, so uh, if you're taking notes on the back, there are some fill-in-the-blank notes, and I'll do my best to... let you know when those come up. There's seven points today and uh, a bunch of places that you can fill in the blank. Okay. So in uh, last week, if we were just to review uh, quickly when talking about the subject of hell, it's a difficult subject. It's not a popular subject. It's not something that we uh, bring up all the time. In fact, we don't want to. We leave out The subject of hell, a lot of times, even when leading people to Christ or explaining who God is, we leave out the subject of hell. So we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, today and why we do that and that maybe uh, we should change our thinking. But last week, just by way of review, one of the things that we uh, said was that the more we know about what we deserve and have been rescued from, in particular, hell, the more our hearts and our attitudes change. So how do our hearts and attitudes change as a result of knowing more about hell, as a result of talking more about hell and understanding the subject of hell actually more? One of the things that we came to is that our thankfulness to God and to Christ increases. The more you know about hell, the more our thankfulness to God and to Christ increases the more you know about hell, number two is um, our perspective on our own present trials and struggles will be helpful. Anytime you can get better perspective on anything, you, uh, it's helpful. Uh, just understanding something better gives you a better perspective, a different perspective, another perspective, right? And so um, it helps you understand your struggles and your trials just a little bit better understanding actually hell more. I think God God is very intentional about that. Number three, actually, the more you understand hell, the more you turn away from grumbling and complaining. So some people need to do a deep dive Bible study with hell, in my view. (laughs) Because it just changes you. And grumbling and complaining seem to be not as important. Number four... The more you know about hell and understand hell or can get your arms around the subject, um, the more you can live a life of satisfaction, joy, and gratitude to God for what he's done in rescuing us. So the subject of hell is really important. George Barna, he's pretty famous for doing surveys, running a lot of uh, uh, statistics and analysis across the nation regarding the church and tons of subjects. Um, it's pretty fantastic, uh, I think, what he does, but he tells us that amongst his research that only 32% of uh, the nation or the globe, excuse me, 32% of people by and large believe that hell is an actual place of torment and suffering. Only 32%. If you to survey everybody, 32% believe that it's a place of eternal... Um, suffering and torment. 40% believe it's a state of eternal separation from God. 64% believe that they will go to heaven and only 0.005%, that's really, really, really small, right? Believe that they will be sent to the eternal flames. Okay. So, so there's, you know, there's a reasonable amount of people, I guess, that believe that hell is real, but not very many people think they're going there. Okay, so which, uh, by the way, when you read the scriptures, it, the scriptures seem to indicate just the antithesis of that. In fact, I think I could make a case. The scriptures are saying that more people are going to go to hell than go to heaven. Wow, that's kind of scary. 62% of people responding to this uh, survey said that they're going to heaven though. of people ask about the subject. I'm going to heaven, right? And uh, again, then um, only 0.5% think that they're hell bound. And so I don't know. Is this old fashioned? I mean, you know, the church uh, actually I grew up in as a child, My, my parents' church, my grandparents' church, we talked about hell actually a lot more. So I I think that's an indictment on me maybe a little bit and pastors across the country, right? I even had a college professor who said that hell is disappearing. It's disappearing from importance amongst the things that we talk about and teach about. Here's my first point. If you're um, taking notes, you're gonna fill in the blanks. Most people simply do not believe they or others Warrant or deserve going to hell. Most people, that's what they, that's what they believe, that um, they or others, there's no warrant and they do not deserve to go to hell, right? Because they believe hell is for non-believers. Hell is for non-believers, and most Americans don't believe that there's anything really like a non-believer or that they're a non-believer, right? It's a very general category that we're like, well if you don't believe, but there's nobody that doesn't believe. All right. So they believe that everyone um, across our nation, our culture believes actually that everyone has an equal chance at this life and the next life. It's on all, everybody's on the same, in the same place. We all have an equal chance. So the bottom line is that hell's not fair if most people are somewhat spiritual or basically good which is kind of scary, but that's what our culture believes, right? Even if one's assignment to the dark abyss were based on your deeds, how can we reconcile eternal suffering with uh, uh, just a few sinful blunders or mistakes or, you know, a few swear words? Surely we're not going to go to hell because of those things. I mean, God would not do that, right? Of course, though, of course, Hitler... He's going to hell, right? It's amazing how we can pull that guy out of just, and Hitler, he's going to hell. He's the worst of anybody that you could um, talk about. ISIS and terrorists, they're right in there with Hitler. They deserve to go to hell, but the average person who just drops a few F-bombs, come on, really? God wouldn't do that. I mean, if you cheat you know, here and there, taxes, whatever. I mean, everybody does that, right? Um, Mediocre sinners, they're not gonna, come on, really? They're not gonna go to hell. That's what our culture believes. Surely those people would be exempt because, I mean, they're not Hitler or ISIS, you know, cutting people's heads off or something like that. Murderers, yeah, I'm good with it. Go to hell, right? Number two. Others simply dismiss the concept and existence of hell altogether. There's a concept of hell and the existence of hell. No, come on, right? Even many modern Christ followers struggle to reconcile a loving God with one who would condemn humankind to eternal torment. I mean, God is love. Why would he condemn people to Eternal torment. That doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't make any sense. Most believe that God is kind and gentle and forgiving. And he is, that's for sure. Why would he create people? Why would he create anything only to eternally punish the majority of his creation? Should finite sins receive an infinite punishment? Come on. Right? But... I'm not speaking like this is just a little thing in our culture. This is the majority of what our culture believes. I would say the majority of what the globe believes. These common beliefs of our culture have led people to shy away from even using the word, actually, unless you're really mad, all right, at someone. Then you can use it, okay, People hesitate to talk about hell. Christ followers hesitate all the time to talk about hell because we don't want to include the bad news, right? We want to be encouraging and inspiring and motivate and help people come to Jesus. And if you start that conversation about hell, that's not going to go good, right? The existence of hell is difficult. It's challenging theology regarding being a Christ follower a follower of Jesus. But theology is one of those things too. Those that's reserved for pastors, scholars, right? theologians. But church people, I mean that's Pastor Ben's job. He's supposed to kind of like, you know, help us get our arms around it and explain it and put it into some simple terms. Theology, they, that's not for me, especially the, theology of hell. What could be a theology of hell? Lots of pastors feel preaching on hell is actually unproductive. I'm actually still shocked how many pastors just think, look, we don't got to talk about hell. Let's talk about Jesus and preach Jesus, as if you can preach Jesus without talking about hell. But who wants to hear about a judgmental God? Who wants to believe a God? Uh, like that even exists, but I'm not exaggerating. It sounds like it could exaggerate. Maybe you've been around me a little bit too long. I don't know. But pastors across the country, across the globe, don't talk about hell. I would say even, I have to admit, if I'm very honest, that I have not preached very much on hell over the course of my career. It's not something that I've addressed as often as I am recently convicted of, even more now. Number three. Here's the third point. If you're taking notes, evangelicals. Maybe you consider yourself an evangelical. Either do not believe in the doctrine of hell, or have no longer or ha, or no longer have the courage and conviction to stand and say anything about hell. Courage and conviction are the two words there that are key. Because it takes courage and it takes conviction to talk about it. Right? It just does. So I can't think of anything more politically incorrect to preach on in the 21st century America than the wrath of God and hell. <laughs> it's politically kind of an unsafe thing. The justice of God, the doctrine of God. Oh my gosh, here we are, Sunday morning, we're talking about hell. And Pastor Ben has said it about 18 times already in church. Americans believe that hell exists, but they aren't as sure as they once were. We're wincing about it. And many question whether it lasts forever. We talked about that last week, right? Right? and come up with this concept of annihilation. And uh, last week, one of my points was that annihilation and eternal torment, eternal torture in hell forever, the difference between those two concepts is measureless, right? Measureless. So, but though this is a current trend in our society, And most churches, not to talk about hell. Should we be concerned about it? Should we be concerned about it? Because most people can't themselves fathom that hell is real or that, um, you know, it's okay if certain people go there. But, you know, particularly those that are really bad, sinful people should probably go to hell. But I don't really want to talk about it, right? As moral people, hell is often difficult to justify. It's really hard for us to justify it. Rational people, hell is difficult to understand. Emotional people, right? Hell's a, a difficulty, it's, it's difficult to fully accept it, right? God is loving. So, does the doctrine of hell have any impact on our understanding of God and the gospel? Does it have an impact Heaven's trending right now. Talking about heaven. It's trending. Hell is disappearing. Just like my college professor would say. Should we just let it go and die a painless death? Does it really matter? Is this an important subject? Something we should be addressing, right? Luke chapter 12. Let's just look at these two verses. Um, I set out um, to make sure that we read first. We talked about these last week. Luke 12, starting in verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom you should fear. Fear the one who, after the killing, has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear him. Wow, Wayne Grudem says, well, I can't believe I I took a class with Wayne Grudem was um, a professor of theology and uh, this is what he says. He says, hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. That's a great definition for hell. The eternal, a place of eternal conscious punishment the wicked. So many places we can go in the Bible and find hell. I said last week, it is smattered throughout the scriptures. It's hard to just go to one place in particular and capture it all. You got to search the scriptures. It's laid out across the scriptures in both New Testament and Old Testament. So I just want to go through one place, turn to the book of Matthew, and I want you to observe for yourself. We say this all the time. I want to set out to sort of prove it uh, this morning. We say that Jesus has spoken more about hell than he has about heaven. I hate saying things without like proving it. So, um, and uh, I want you to be able to know it. And understand it. So get ready. We're gonna take just a little short survey through the book of Matthew. So turn there, and I'm gonna try my best to go through it in order for the most part. I got a couple of things out of order, but it's okay. Just a few pages right or left in the in the Gospel of Matthew. Follow along, get your Bible out. There's one under that black chair if you don't have one. Get your phone up or your tablet, whatever you got, right? Matthew chapter five. Go to Matthew chapter five. We'll start right there, even though I'm going to go backwards just a little bit. But that's where we're going to start because I don't want to redo my notes. (laughs) Okay. Matthew 5, go to verse 21. Here we go. You ready? Jesus has lots to say. Jesus has lots to say about hell. We're just going to focus on what he has to say about hell. Starting verse 21, you have heard that it was said to an older generation, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment, meaning hell. Verse 22, but I say to you that anyone who is angry with a brother will be subject to judgment or hell, and whoever insults a brother will be brought before the council, and whoever says fool will be sent to fiery hell. Now I'll go backwards to Matthew chapter 3. Verse 7, this is Jesus, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees, these are people opposing Jesus, and they have lots of different thinking. These are the lawyers the, of the law and the supposed experts in all these arenas, right? So he says, so when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you offspring of vipers, you bunch of snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Coming wrath. He's talking about God in the coming hell. Now um, go down to verse 10, Matthew 3, verse 10. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire or hell. He's addressing hell. And he's kind of up in their grill about it. Um, go back to Matthew chapter 5, go to verse 27. You've heard that it was said, starting in verse 27, do not commit adultery. Of course, you shouldn't do that, right? But I say to you that whoever looks on a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better to lose one of your members than to have the whole body thrown into hell. Man, it's so radical, Jesus crying out loud. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into hell. That's radical. Evidently, Jesus thinks this is better than going to hell. I'm telling you, tear out your eyeballs and cut your arms and legs off and stuff if that's what it takes because you don't want to go there, right? Go to chapter 7. Just a couple more pages, verse 13. Oh, this is is actually profound. Chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate because the gate is wide and the way is spacious that leads to destruction. There's a contrast here. And there are many who will enter through it. I guess because it's so wide. But the gate is narrow and the way is difficult that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Slip down to verse 23. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you lawbreakers. What is he talking about here? He's talking about this way to eternity and that there's a wide way that most people are going to go by because it's easy. And then there's a narrow gate. Destruction in hell, it's very, you know, this is where you get this idea or fact. Lots more people going to go to hell and destruction than to heaven. Chapter 8, verse 11. He just keeps going. Je- Jesus just unpacks all these this thinking about eternity in hell, starting uh, in verse 11. I tell you, that, you know, right? Every time Jesus says, I tell you the solemn truth. Listen to, it means listen to me, pay attention, focus. Something important is uh, coming. You need to sit up and listen. Many will come from the east and the west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, right? Remember, this is a battle for one love. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God against the kingdom of Satan, right? Verse 12, but the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So regarding this, right? Hell is the consequence for rejecting Christ, right? You need to be ready and there is a way. Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill. So slip over to Matthew chapter 10, just a couple of pages. Verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but... Cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's just the parallel version uh, in Matthew of the Luke verses, right? Luke twelve four and 5 that we read earlier. Go to chapter 13, Matthew. Chapter 13, verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I will tell the reapers, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat into my barn. What's he talking about? You know, you know. I'm, I'm not teaching through all of these things, but this is uh, metaphorical. This is a picture. He's creating layers of picture, right? Weeds, bad, sinful, rejection, don't belong. Gather them up, tie them up burn them burn them the wheat though comes to um uh my barn Uh, matthew 13 go to verse 40 in the same chapter verse 40 as the weeds are collected and burned with fire so it will be at the end of the age so see he's talking about the end of the age things to come right verse 41 the son of man will send his angels what are the angels going to do he's going to send them for the angels to do this, they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin as well as all the lawbreakers. They'll be, uh, they will throw them into the fiery furnace where, they will, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God gathers them up, ties them up, sends them to be burnt. Burnt. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew thirteen, verse forty-nine, keep going, just in the same chapter. It'll be this way at the end of the age. Angels will come, again, the angels. No wonder everybody's all scared of them, right? Angels will come, separate the evil from the righteous. And then what? Throw them into the fiery furnace, where they will be burnt where, where, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So much gnashing and crying. Sounds awful. Go to chapter 18. Chapter 18. Oh, here it comes again. Jesus, so radical regarding talking about this stuff. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. Don't donate it to science. It says throw it away. It's better for you to enter uh, life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet or be thrown into eternal fire. Again, with your eyes. If your eyes cause you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into fiery hell. It's radical. It's so extreme. He's making a point. Cut these things off. That's way better than going to hell. There's a point there. Hell must be really, really awful. Go to chapter 23. Chapter 23, verse 15. 23. Oh man, here we go. Remember the Pharisees, Sadducees, the experts in the law. Verse 15. Woe to you, experts in the law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, you cross land and sea to make one convert. And when you get one, you make them twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Slip down to verse 33. Man, these guys. You snakes. You offspring of vipers. <laughs> Children of snakes. Offspring of... That's... Wow. Sounds gross. How will you escape being condemned to hell? I mean, just pay attention to how he's talking to the Pharisees and what they're doing, what they're focused on. It's like, you're going to hell, you guys. That's radical. That's offensive. Chapter 24, one more page. Go to verse 50. Matthew 24, 50. Then the masters of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not foresee. Verse 51. And we'll cut him in two and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's another uh, picture. Is another illustration. He paints it all. He puts it all together. and He says, what's the consequence here it is hell. Go to chapter 25, verse 30. And throw that worthless slave into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, uses that. Actually, those, that illustration a lot. Because it sounds horrid. Go to verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left. Remember, you know, all the dividing up. People on the right, people on the left. And there you're into these categories, right? There's two choices here. Depart, depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire that's been prepared for the devil and his angels. Right? Rejecting Christ. You're on the left. And then... Um, uh, believing in the work of Christ, right? So, I mean, he puts together all these illustrations, all these contrasts, you know, the weeds and the wheat, the, um, the chaff and, and, and the wheat, and the right and the left, the sheep and the goats, all this kind of stuff, right? He's constantly talking about this. Verse 46, chapter 25, and these will depart into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So, that is just Jesus and addressing hell in the Gospel of Matthew. Just the Gospel of Matthew. That's it. I mean, it, it takes a little bit of work to go through that, but Jesus is constantly talking about it. the The author of 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 this Gospel, Matthew, as he writes this all out, as he records this, his uh, through his eyes, this the the Gospel, the truth, the good news, and in Jesus's words. He records Jesus is talking about this all the time. And if you kept going and you went on to read the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John, all right, and in other places, right, Jesus it testifies all the time to the existence of hell. It's included in everything that he teaches and that he addresses. The scriptures are saturated with Jesus' words about hell more than he spoke of heaven. Now you know for yourself, if you flip through the verses with me, he spoke of hell more than all the other New Testament authors, all combined, Jesus Always talking about hell. Here's my fourth point. So from just this brief survey, you can conclude this, right? That Jesus believed that hell is real. It's a real place uh, that many will experience. He believed hell involves conscious, conscious, eternal suffering. He believed God's, uh, God rules hell, yet it involves the absence of his benevolent love and his presence. He also believed that there is hope to be be spared from hell if we would believe the good news, the gospel. That's what's good news. Why are we always focusing on the good news? Because there's bad news and there's a contrast here, the good news that he brought. So I'm going to come back to it. So let me ask you, do you believe what we just read together? Do you believe it? You see, there's so many so-called Christ followers that can read and hear these passages and still reject the clear teaching about hell from the Bible and don't say that it's not true. It's our, our, our lives are saturated with people who just reject hell and the concept and that Jesus would have anything to do with it or teach anything about it, right? So if you get rid of hell, well, then you need to get rid of other subjects that Jesus taught about, like heaven, And if we can't trust Jesus' teaching on the only two eternal destinations, right, heaven or hell, then can we trust his teachings on salvation? And if he's not the savior, why bother following Jesus at all? Why is he, why would he be Lord of anything and why bother following him, right? So Jesus' teaching on hell, I don't think it could be any clearer. He's actually very clear. He creates layers upon layers and in and, and a huge picture that's pretty dense regarding hell. Now, is it because he's a harsh person? He's cruel and he's unloving? No. Right? Is it because hell is a real place of endless torment? Maybe. <laughs> is it because his primary mission is to rescue us from this terrifying place? Is that his mission? See, that's what I think. When you put it all together, when you create the picture that he's created, when you review the picture, when you stare at it really well, he's painting a picture because this is an awful real place. The most famous Bible verses in all of the Bible, you could probably tell me, you could probably quote it in a version. Maybe you memorized it. We don't memorize very many verses in the scriptures um, as much as we used to. That's a little bit of a shame. But John 3.16, right? I love the way the Net Bible reads in John 3.16. I think it's very accurate. For this is the way God loved the world. This is the way he loved the world. This is the way he demonstrated his love to the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Wouldn't die in eternal hell but have eternal life. And then verse 17, which we don't include as much, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. So here's my fifth point. The solution is not to dismiss hell as an unloving concept. That's not the solution. Here's the solution. The solution is to accept the reality of of hell and to trust the love of God in Jesus Christ to save us from this terrifying reality. That's the solution to accept the reality of hell. We want to deny it, we want to pretend like it doesn't happen. The passage I read earlier was from Luke 12, 4 and 5, right? I tell you, listen, pay attention, sit up. This is really important, Jesus' words, right? My friends, he says, I'm concerned, so listen. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. It's a radical concept. Easy to say if nobody wants to kill you, but he's saying, listen, compared to, right, verse five, he says, but I warn you, I will warn you whom you should fear. Fear the one who after the killing has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes. I'm telling you, he says, fear him. Now, so Jesus has radical teaching. That's why, you know, I I, I like to see this. I like to shake us up a little bit. I think being a Christ follower is much more radical than we ever realize it is. It should be. It's radical. Jesus is radical. No wonder everybody wants to kill him. I mean, he is aggravating people. Listen to how extreme he is. Hey, tear your eyes out. Cut your hands and feet off. If that's what it takes, it would be better, you guys. I mean, dying? (laughs) Don't fear that. What you should fear is the one who can send you to hell after you die. Wow. He's got the authority to do that, to throw you in hell. So the reason we don't take hell seriously is because we don't take God seriously, I think. I don't think we're taking him serious. I think God does what he says he's going to do. He's not just the man upstairs or this grandfatherly type figure that winks at our sin. Have you ever heard anybody say, you know, refer to God as the man upstairs? Such a ridiculous thing to say. Who fears a God like that? Come on. Fear the one who after the killing has the authority to throw you into hell. Right? God is nuts. You know, we reduce God, our culture reduces God to become just a punchline for jokes. His name's taken in vain without any regret. Yet God is set apart. God is sanctified. God is, um, uh, he is separate from his creation. That's who God is. He is perfectly holy. Habakkuk chapter 113, you may not have read this book very much. Habakkuk declares that God is too just to tolerate evil and unable to condone wrongdoing. That's God. And in his holiness, God hates sin. As a violation of all he is and all he commands, God must punish sin. Yes, God is kind. God is loving. God is merciful. God is love. God is full of forbearance and patience. But he is just, and he must punish sin. He's harsh. That's true. The Hebrew author tells us he is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29. We're sinful. All of us are sin. We're born into sin, Romans 3, 23. Do you know the Romans road? so awesome. You probably do if I point it out to you. For all have sinned and fallen Short of the glory of God. Because why? Because God is sanctified or separate from us. He's different from us. We fail by doing that which is against his law. We fail by not doing all of his commands. There's no such thing as a small sin in God's sight. Although there are no degrees of sin. It's all sin to God. Sin is sin. But it's all huge. Each sin is a, is cosmic treason against the Creator, our Creator. Each sin is an infinite violation against an infinite God that deserves infinite justice and infinite punishment, or He's not God, because a failure to punish sin would be a failure to allow God to be God. Yet our culture doesn't like, we don't like it. We don't want to talk about God being like this. Our culture has chosen to redefine His love so that he's no longer holy. Our culture has chosen to define his sovereignty so that human autonomy is still preserved, right? We got, we have rights. We have rights. And that wouldn't be fair for a God to be like that. The biblical thinking of a God that would send people to hell is too restrictive to human freedom and offensive to human sensibilities. And... and, and I mean, as, as if it's not like that, I mean, our culture thinks like this. The culture that gave birth to the Holocaust, the culture that gives birth to the abortion explosion demands that God answer their questions and redefine himself according to their dictates. Let's Look, look at my, my sixth point here. Is it our job to prove God's ways to others? Is it our job to prove it? Is it our job to make God more marketable, more palatable? Is it our job to simply, or is it our job to simply proclaim what the Bible teaches regardless of the cost? You see, what is our job anyway? as a Christ follower? What is our mission? What are our mandates? Have you ever heard somebody say, well, God doesn't send anybody to hell. You do that on your own. It's ridiculous. He sends people to hell. Stop saying that. God doesn't owe anyone an explanation or an excuse or an apology. He's God Psalm 115.3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases, and he doesn't need a bunch of us apologizing for him. He doesn't need a bunch of us kind of making him more marketable and softening it up a little bit so people, for fear, they might turn away from Jesus. That's not our job at all. We have a mission and a mandate to preach, to teach, to declare the gospel, the good news. And you can't do that without telling people, listen, you need a savior. You're lost. You have to get people lost before they know they need to be saved. What do I need to be saved from? Hell. When did we stop talking about that? When's the last time you talked to somebody, including me? It's not easy. When's the last time when you're explaining who God is, you bring up the subject hell? Hey. I want to tell you about Jesus. Now, let's talk about hell. It's not an easy thing to do. There's nothing, though, that you can do to alter the perfect character of God or his will. So the most loving thing that you can do for anyone, including the things that we are to do for God and being obedient, The most loving thing that you can do for others is to proclaim who he is as he has revealed himself in the scriptures. We should fear misinterpreting God and misleading people more than fearing political correctness or cultural relevancy. We're so wimpy. We don't want to talk about hell. Have you heard anybody say this? Oh, this is great. Attempts to air condition hell will ensure that more and more people will wind up in hell. That's what we want to do. We want to air condition it. It's not that bad. <laughs> I love John uh Woolward. He has passed. I have multiple commentaries with John Woolward he was the president of Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to what he says. He says, though it is common for all Christians to wish that there were some way out of the doctrine of eternal punishment because of its inexorable and unyielding revelation of divine judgment, one must rely in Christian faith on the doctrine that God is is a God of infinite righteousness as well as infinite love. While on the one hand, he bestows infinite grace to those who trust him. He must, on the other hand, inflict eternal punishment on those who spurn his grace. If you're going to talk about heaven and eternal life, you must talk about eternal torment and punishment, eternal death, right? Jesus Christ did not bring us the gospel to enhance our self-esteem. And it just doesn't seem like he came to be careful. He's radical. I see lots of places where he's wild and angry. I mean, listen to the way he talked to these guys. You snakes, you children of snakes, you vipers, you hypocrites, you... Yeah. When's the last time you called somebody a snake? Serpent, viper, you're going to hell. You should cut your eye out and your feet and your hands. It would be better than going to hell. I mean, he's radical. I'm making it funny, but he's radical in the things that he says, right? He brought the gospel to save us. To save us from what? To save us from hell which is the consequences of our sin. Matthew one twenty one. that's where it should have started. Matthew one twenty one. she will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Sins send us somewhere. The moment you get rid of hell is the moment you no longer have any need for the good news or the gospel. Romans 5, 8, a part of that Romans road in that journey, 5, 8, and 9, but that God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more than because we have now been declared righteous by his blood. We will be saved through him from God's wrath. Our goal as Christ followers is to be a mouthpiece for Christ. That's our mission and our mandate. Tell the good news, preach the good news, Share the good news. Explain Jesus, all of Him. Yet in a desire to make the message more palatable, we have this, this, uh, the tendency to dilute or forsake mentioning hell. We're leaving it out. We're, I, I'm, me included. It's not easy. I've done three funerals in the last few weeks. Man, you know where a difficult place to bring up hell is? funeral i mean man we don't want to talk about that person's gone so we don't and it doesn't it's unnecessary regarding the person it's over but funerals are about people that are still here actually even though we want to try our best to honor their memory and things like that but it's not easy to talk about hell in any setting when we, but when we make, when we try to make it more palatable and go a little easy, we don't represent Christ and His teaching. We, we rather what we present to the unbeliever is a message that can easily be rejected. You see, it can easily be. Why do I need to be saved? Saved from what? Hell, pfft, right? With the eternity of people's soul on the line, people need to desperately and urgently understand that salvation depends on what they do with Jesus, Jesus who paid the full penalty for sin, right? And that they must be saved from hell by trusting him and receiving his gift of everlasting life instead of everlasting torment in hell. We must share the bad news about hell so that others may come to embrace the good news about the Savior. That's our job in the middle of the war and the battle. The battle's all over this. It's all about this, one love. Here's my last point. So, hell is real. And yes, according to God's standard, we all deserve to go there, right? Right? But God is, uh, but God in his love and his mercy sent Jesus to rescue us. He sent Jesus on a rescue mission to take our sin upon himself and to be punished in our place to drink that cup, right? He painfully faced God's wrath so that we didn't have to, he explained. Experience hell as the substitute for all who would receive him as their savior. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here it comes. Number seven, are you awaiting the awful and the terrifying judgment of God? Or are you secure having been totally forgiven because Jesus Christ is your Lord and savior from hell? Maybe we need to practice talking to people about hell a little bit more. I, I think we do. You got to understand it, and it takes work. And it's an uncomfortable subject. Will you pray with me? Father, this is a difficult, deep, sobering topic And I'm praying, Lord God, that we would be able to feel the weight of the truth of these things here that we've been talking about and not shrink back from these things. Help us to understand that you sent your son Jesus to take on sin for us, that we might have eternal life. Help us to give him thanks. And Father, help us to give you thanks for sending your only loved son and pouring out your wrath on him, our substitute, our lightning rod, that we might be delivered and protected and saved from hell. And I'm praying one more time for anyone, anybody that's here who's walked into this place unconverted that they would believe in Christ while there's still time and trust him. Lord, Give us a greater enthusiasm, a greater zeal, a greater amount of energy that we, more than ever, more than we've ever displayed before for evangelism right here in Vail, telling people about the good news of your son, Jesus, and his work on the cross, and that he came to save us from hell. Help us to take this mission to just our community to Tucson and Arizona and all these other nations, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.veilchristian.com.